Welcome to another edition of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the award-winning show covering fishing, hunting, conservation, destinations, and other outdoors recreation across the greater Northwest. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lur, Sportsman's Warehouse, Sina Sea Seafood, and Wallowa County Chamber of Commerce, and the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program. And now, let's see what's happening this week with your host, John Cruz. Welcome aboard. I want to start by thanking all of you who have contributed to the GoFundMe campaign we've got going for my friend Rhonda Edwards. As I've been telling you the last couple of weeks, she has been battling cancer. She's been doing so for a long time, but that battle has gotten very serious as of late, and she needs some help in terms of financial help to get down to Houston, Texas, where there's a facility that specializes in the type of cancer she is fighting. So if you can spare anything at all, It'd be truly appreciated. Just go to our Northwestern Outdoors Radio Facebook page and look for the link to the GoFundMe campaign or just go straight to GoFundMe.com and find the Help Rhonda Edwards Fight Cancer GoFundMe campaign. And just donate whatever you can, 10 bucks, 25 50 It all helps and it's all appreciated. All right, turning to this week's show, we're doing something a little bit different. Every year, I enter excellence and craft contest for two organizations. One of them is the Northwest Outdoor Writers Association. And I'll be honest, there's just a few people I compete against that are in the podcasting or radio business. But on the national side, the Outdoor Writers Association of America, there's a whole bunch of people who enter in the podcast and audio category. And I always want to see how our show stacks up. I'm happy to report that Generally speaking, we do quite well. We actually took home five second place and first place awards last year, and I've once again entered in multiple categories, and I'm going to air three of those entries for you today, and you can be the judge whether they are worthy of an award or not. One of these conversations is going to be with Bill Herzog, very well-known trout and steelhead angler, and the former co-host of Northwest Wild Country that used to air on AM 950 KJR before that show went away and we ended up in that slot. Bill's going to talk all about trout fishing today and I bet you're going to learn something too. After that, Bob Loomis is back with a fresh extended Max Minute. The topic this time is how to catch salmon from shore. What kind of setup do you use? Bob will help you out with that. This will be especially handy for those of you that are trying to reel in some salmon down on the Columbia River. After that, we'll talk to Jason Brooks a prolific outdoors writer and avid hunter who loves to hunt big game in Idaho. We're going to talk about two hunts he went on in Idaho last fall, and let's just say, even for the experts, sometimes things don't go as expected. I think you're going to get some chuckles, some laughs, and some oohs and ahs out of this conversation. Last but not least, we are going to get to talk to the CEO of Buck Knives. That would be CJ Buck. Ran into him at SHOT Show last year in Las Vegas and got a chance to sit down and hear the story of how he came to be the CEO of this very well-known company headquartered in Post Falls, Idaho. Put it all together and we've got a great show coming your way. So let's start it off the way we always do with another edition of Sportsman Spotlight with David Sparks. Brought to you every week by the Ag Information Network of the West. Artie Trammell and his son went whitetail hunting because his son wanted something. David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. There's one thing I don't have and I want. I said, what's that? He said, I need a good buck mount to go in the house. It was deer season, so I told him I've got a little 
spot that's in one of the wildlife refuge areas. It's open for hunting. It's kind of hard to get to, but it's got some deer in there. It's going to make a round. So we got up early that morning, got all of our hunting gear lined out. He kind of liked the rifle that I had. It was a 300 Browning lever action, 300 Winchester mag. He had a little 270. I'd shoot it. We got up that morning. We left. We got in the woods. I told him, I said, look, there's a branch down this way. Just go down there and follow that branch down, find you a place, and just kind of sit down and watch it kind of opens up. I'm going to slip back to the east over here, and there's another branch over here, and I said, well, I'm going to hunt in between. Sure enough, we separated. After it got good in daylight, I heard him shoot. Then I heard another shot, and then another shot. I'm just sitting there. I'm waiting. I hear him holler. I didn't really want to get up and go that way because if it was deer, and he shot, and they have been coming toward me, and I wanted to give him a little enough time to clear. I kept sitting there waiting. He hollered again. So I started slipping that way, and then he hollered once more. Daddy, come on. So I'm coming. By that time, I'm walking a little faster than I could see him, and he hollered, come on. So I took off. I started running, and I got to him. So what? He said, shoot him. And I looked across the branch, and there's this big buck trying to get up. I said, well, you shoot him. And we'll find out tomorrow why R.D.'s son didn't shoot. It's been popping up in orchards and vineyards all over. Any origin theories, callers? Oh, hey, yeah, it's Sevia fungicide from BASF, a category leader in disease control. How do you explain these healthy crops? Well, longer-lasting residual. Plus, it's built for current regulatory standards and prepared for what's to come, which improves crop marketing flexibility, so... A fungicide that is out of this world? I knew it. Sevia fungicide from BASF. Or is it... Always read and follow link directions. Smart stays on the road. That's why it's in your engine. Because you wouldn't settle for subpar performance. Cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. These premium oils maintain 80% of their viscosity throughout the drain interval for superior engine performance across extreme temperatures. That horizon looks good with the competition behind you. Cenex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart. David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. You'll find it all at Sportsman's Warehouse. Better still, the knowledgeable staff can help you with tips to help you bag a trophy or a limit. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is the Gem State of Idaho. That's where outdoors writer Jason Brooks is with his son. They're deer hunting, and this is not the first time they've done this fall either. Jason, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, John. Glad to be back. So, Jason, you live in Washington State like I do, but you've been going to Idaho for like 30 years now for big game hunting. What continues to draw you to the Gem State? You know, it's interesting. I actually first started hunting here back my senior year in high school, 31 years ago, as a gift from my dad before I went to the United States Air Force. And really quick, there I was. So I hunted my first year as senior in high school. And then fast forward a year later, I'm at Chinook Air Force Base, Illinois, and I'm getting my orders where I'm going to go land my feet. You know, I'm going through my training and everything else. And I finally get my orders and I got Mountain Home, Idaho. 
There you go. <laughs> so I landed right back to Idaho, got to live in southern Idaho, got to enjoy the gem state, fell in love with this place from the sagebrush flats down by the Nevada border all the way up to the, the Tamaracks and the Alpine area up by the Canadian border and everything in between. The Frank Church lies right in the middle of it, and that's where my heart lies as well. It's right in the heart of Idaho. Well, I know you love to fly into a little airstrip in the Frank Church wilderness, and you did that again this fall. Tell me about that hunt and how it went. Well, so I think this was like my 17th or 18th time going in there. I can't even remember anymore how many times I've been in there. And you'd think by now I would know better, but I'm probably at this stage in my life and, and maybe in my hunting career where I, I'm starting to forget the little things and they become <laughs> big things real quick. First I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. First off, we get in there and the weather's going to be perfect. It was 78 degrees three days before we got there. So I'm like, oh, no. But it was a cold spell coming in, a cold front. We had to fly in a day early because of a major storm that was coming in. So we get in there, and it starts raining on us. And then the snow level's starting to drop. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be perfect. And we're getting all of our gear ready to go. We have a wall tent in there by the airstrip. Then we spike out, which is we, we basically bivouac out. We take a small little hot tent. You know, we were five miles away from the runway. And so we're getting all of our gear ready. And I pull my gaiters, which gaiters are like these things you put over your boots, to your pant leg to kind of keep the water from going in from the top of your boot, like, in, you know, from your socks getting soaking wet and those right. kind of things. And I realized I grabbed my son's gaiters that I bought him back when he was about 10 years old. Oh, no. Yeah. So the next morning, I'm like, well, no gators, no problem. I've done this before, you know. And we start hiking into where we're going to go into Spike Out at, and it starts pouring down rain and pouring down rain. Now I'm soaked, and my feet are waterlogged. I can feel the water squishing in my wool socks. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. No. And then I look up, and 15 yards in front of me in the trail is a black bear cub. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, uh, okay, this is not good. Where's Mama Bear? I'm right. like, you're way too close. This is a really small bear. It's soaking wet. I'm soaking wet. I have a whistle with me. If you ever get lost, you know, you always carry a whistle. I start yelling, hey, bear. I start blowing on this whistle, and this bear just for like 15 minutes just stands there 15 yards, feeding in some fireweed, kind of walks towards a tree, walks towards me. No Mama Bear ever showed up. Huh. I don't know. I don't know if this mom bear got taken out by wolves, a lot of wolves in there, or just natural occurrence, or I, I don't know. But this little cub was all by himself. We're both sitting there soaked. I felt so bad for him. But that's how my trip is starting for a 10-day Idaho backcountry trip. Oh, jeez. Did it we, get better? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> we get to where we're going to spike out. I put my tent up. I'm going to put my stove together. The pin that holds the hinge for the stove door fell off somewhere. Oh. I now have a stove that's non-functional. Oh, oh. my God. Was that and your only source of warmth or your only source of cooking? Yeah, and drying out. Remember, I'm soaking wet. Yes. Oh, and on, boy. On top, of, on top of that, it's now switched from rain to snow. But I was able to fabricate a pin by taking these rings you have for your, your stove pipe, and I, I cut it and, and was able to fabricate that. So I got that. So then I, I bought my air pad, and I, I climb in my sleeping bag. I've got a bivy bag, and I was saying, okay, no problem. I wake up a half hour later, my sleeping pad apparently had a hole in it. So now <laughs> oh I, sleep all, I sleep all night on the ground. I'm trying to dry out my socks. I'm trying to dry out my boots. It's just not happening. So the next morning I wake up, I tell my hunt partners who are in there, I said, I have to go back out to base camp. I got to get dried out. I've got to get my other pad, my base pad, uh, camp pad. So my dad had taught me this trick years and years ago. I had some plastic bags with me. So I actually put my wool socks back on. I put some plastic bags over my wool socks, slid them into my wet boots, and down the trail I go. 
fat, dumb, and happy, just hiking along. And I look up on the hillside, and there's a herd of elk. Oh. So I thought, why not? Finally, my luck has turned. Let's go chase some elk while wearing plastic bags on your feet. <laughs> four, four hours later, I get to the top of the ridge, John, just to watch the elk crest over at 6,000 feet and literally somber away, eating at 700 yards into the backside of this basin. And I'm like, I can't go any further. That's I, If I go any further and shoot this elk, it'll take me 10 years to get this thing out of there, let alone 10 days. Right. So now I've got to go back down. Keep in mind, the runway's at 4,400 feet. I'm at 6,000 feet, and I'm within probably a half mile of the runway as far as the crow flies. That's how steep this country is. Oh, I'm in the, you know, the, the river basin, the, 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 the river, river drainage, and I have plastic bags on my feet. Oh my <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was pretty much, that's my Frank Church hunt of the year right there. I get down, I get cleaned up, I get dried out, and I just pretty much took my camera for a walk the rest of the the other eight days after that. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Even the experienced professionals and avid hunters have outings like this. However, this week you are on a hunt with your son in the Idaho Panhandle. Understand you got some of those leftover tags that are available. How's that going? Well, so it's going great. So I, yeah, I have a, an any deer tag, and my son had an any deer tag. And then November third, Idaho put on a the last of their sales for their leftover and turned in tags, and I was able to snag a tag for my son. That's a, a doe tag, you know. So I'm like, hey, I want to surprise him with that. We see so many deer up here that it's not uncommon for you to get your deer in the first day, you know. And I'm like, hey, they're not very. I'm, I'm a mule deer hunter at heart. So when I get these white tails, they're not as big as a mule deer. So we have no problem with the meat and everything else. You know, we, we usually run out of the white tail well, you know, well before even summertime. So I surprised him with this deer tag. And so today we're, we're going along and we're going out this ridge line. And it was almost like a takeoff or carryover. I had started flashbacks of the Frank Church. Oh, no. Yeah, because my son stops and he waves me over. And I go over to him. And I go, what, what's going on, Ryan? He goes, look at these tracks. Well... I had forgot the bear spray at home, and oh, I thought, oh. eh, no big deal. The bears are hibernating now. It's like 12 degrees outside. No, there was a fresh, today, grizzly track right where we were walking. Oh, wow. There are grizzly bears in this area. We're between the Selkirks and the Kootenays. Right. And I'm like, oh, boy, yay, just what we needed. So I looked at him and said, just remember, kid. I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to outrun you. (laughs) I have a feeling you'd lose that race, but keep going. Yes, absolutely. Well, about an hour later, we see a flash in the brush. And so Ryan's got these two tags, right? One's for any deer, one's for a doe. And he's like, hey, a deer just, you know, white, they're white tails. You see a flash, it's it's a deer, right? Okay, so he hikes up over the top of this ridge. And I'm watching him, and he's turning into a really good white tail hunter because he hunts black tails in Western Washington. I see him, you know, raise his rifle. And then you just, it's almost like English style shooting for pheasants. Have you ever done that? You point to a spot and wait for the bird to come to you. Uh-huh. He slides his rifle to the left and just stops. And then about three seconds later, he fires. And what it was, he said, I talked to him, I said, what's going on? And his dad, I saw the deer, it was running through the brush, so I couldn't shoot through the brush. So I found the opening where it was heading to, put my scope right there. He shoots a two to 10 power scope. He's on two power. So there's a good field view. I just aimed my crosshairs right in the opening. As soon as I saw that deer, I shot. I was like, well, good for you. Wow. And yeah, so we hike up, and he's like, yep, I think it's a big doe, Dad. I got a big doe. I feel my doe tag. We get up there, and I go, well, one problem, Ryan. It's got spike antlers. Oh, well. (laughs) But you know what? He'd really hope to get a nice whitetail buck on this trip. The bucks are rutting. Right. But he's got a really good eating whitetail buck. Exactly. 
Exactly. Well, we are yep. out of time, but definitely a tale of two trips. I have no doubt we'll see them in print. Look for Jason's work in magazines like the Western Hunting Journal, in Northwest Sportsman Magazine, in The Real News, and a whole lot more. Jason, thanks for sharing your adventures with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you, John, for having me. Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallowa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallowa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million-dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness and fish or raft the Wallowa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallowa County. Plan your visit today at WallowaCountyChamber.com. That's WallowaCountyChamber.com. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio and to an extended Max Minute, brought to you by Max Lur. It's that time again. It's time for another extended Max Minute that we ought to just call the two-minute drill at this point. And with us again is Bob Loomis. Bob, welcome back. Thanks, John. Bob, we talk a lot about fishing for salmon, but usually it's trolling for salmon. But, you know, there's a lot of folks that don't have a boat and they're fishing for salmon from the bank. What would you suggest they use to get a spring Chinook to the bank? Well, you know, John, there's a lot of different ways to fish, and they've become quite adept at, you know, what they call plunking down in the the lower river. And, I mean, they're fishing with two setups, two rigs on a rig. They're taking their gear and running it out with a boat and dropping it so they're getting out into the slot. They're doing things today that, that, you know, you wish you could have done when you were growing up fishing those fisheries. But the fact remains is the way that they are plunking and everything, you want to have something that has a little bit of buoyancy and something with flash, something you can rig up with a coon shrimp or a shrimp or a bait or, you know, something. And, you know, one of my favorite methods and one of the lures that we manufactured a few years ago to hit that lower river fishery where they're plunking out the boat, but it works very well off the bank, is the Smile Blade Shrimp Rig. You know, it's set up with a, a smile blade pill float, set up with a two-aught hook on top, which is a slider, so you can take it and move it to get the size of the shrimp that you're putting on there, stretch it out, and then it's got a large treble hook on the bottom. So it works tremendously well because of the flotation, because of the flash, and works really well because of the fact the smile blade doesn't take anything to spin and attract. Well, there you go, folks. If you don't have a boat, head to the shore and go ahead and plunk for some salmon using the shrimp rig from Max Lure. You can find it at sporting goods stores near you or online anytime at maxlure.com. Want to put a smile on your face? Start off by putting a smile blade from Max Lure Company on your line. Max smile blades come in different sizes and spin at slow speeds, not like those metal blades on other lures. Buy them separately or on ready-made rigs like the Wedding Ring Spinner, Double Whammy, Wallipop, and more. Smile blades work for trout, bass, walleye, as well as other species, and when that fish hits, you'll have a grin on your face that won't go away. The Smile Blade, only from Max Lure Company. 
Anglers are getting a raise this year with the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program and the fish are biting. Here's how it works. First, register at a pike minnow station along the Columbia or Snake River. Next, go fishing for pike minnow and bring back all of them that measure 9 inches or longer. The fish are worth 6 8 or $10, and the more fish you catch, the more each one is worth. Keep an eye out for tagged fish, too, because those are worth 500 bucks. Go fishing, make money, and have fun. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. You'll find it all at Sportsman's Warehouse. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. Got a real treat for you trout anglers out there, especially in the northern part of the United States. We've got Bill Herzog with us today. Now, Bill Herzog is one of the most famous anglers in the Pacific Northwest. He's written several books about catching salmon and steelhead. You can find through Amato Publications. He's been a radio show host. He's pretty much done it all. And to this day, he still lives to fish for trout and steelhead. Bill, great to get you on the air. Nice to be on the air, man. You live down near Washington State's only blue ribbon trout stream, the Yakima River, and it's the dead of winter. Not too many folks are out there. There's a few out there that are casting uh, nymphs, that are casting streamers, but you're out there with spinning gear, and you're having success. Well, for a couple reasons. In the wintertime, big trout don't have as many bugs to eat, almost nothing, so their diet goes right. They get piscivorous. They start eating small sculpins, fry, album, whatever they can find, and when they turn to fish, the rabbit jigs that I throw the 8-ounce rabbit jigs work as good, dare I say, better than anything you could possibly do. And I want to talk about that. I'm really unfamiliar when it comes to stream fishing of using jigs and exactly how you go about it. And the method we're going to talk about here, it works on the Yakima, but this literally would work on any stream in the Northern Hemisphere, wouldn't it? I can prove that. I've caught fish doing this in Montana, a lot of streams in Montana, down in Oregon, in lower British Columbia, eastern Washington, western Washington, wherever you find larger trout, the jig is your friend. Okay, so let's talk about this jig. Let's talk about how to fish it during the winter months. Trout uh, love sculpin. They, a lot of them, we can find sculpin from east coast to west coast, north to south. They love sculpin. Okay, now sculpin, if you watch it, if you ever spook one while you're waiting, they dart along the bottom. They don't come up in the water column at all. you got to get the jig down to them and keep it down. So those of you out there who maybe jig for walleye, who may be on the west coast, maybe you jig for salmon or something, you don't want to do the big uh, weeping jig. Yeah, and that is a no-no because those fish never come that high in the calm. They stay along the bottom. So what you want to do while your jig is dripping along, if you're in a river or a stream, keep it within six inches of the bottom. Just little tiny pops of the wrist and the rod tip and keep it moving along. Maybe real, maybe just you don't have to, but just keep it in your mind's eye thinking now. Keep your jig right on the bottom where a small fish would evade a predator. Now I know when it comes to trout, it's always about matching the hatch. And this is primarily a dark-colored jig that you have here. It's brown with a little fawnish, I guess you might say, and a black head. 
And I presume this is supposed to imitate a sculpin, and this will probably work anywhere where sculpins are, right? Yeah, which is everywhere. Sculpins are everywhere, but this one, if you keep it dark, and I put a little bit of light in there, and I put a little bit of red in there. I palmer near the head to look like gills, and I stick with grizzly patterns. Anything that's got a breakup with black, white, black, brown, black, olive, anything that breaks it up, a sculpin has that pattern to it. The fish... Thankfully, they, they're not that picky. They're hungry. When they see something darting by, they're not going to scrutinize it. They're going to attack it. We were also talking about spinners. I mean, that's my favorite way of fishing is using a spinning rod and tossing spinners. But I'll be honest, whether it be the Yakima or most other streams, I haven't had a lot of success during the winter months. I do good right after ice off on lakes, but not so much on streams. Help me out here. Well, for a reason being, an ice off in lake, what's happening? The water temperature is rising. The surface water temperature is getting warmer literally by the minute. And that turns fish on. They've been starving all winter, man. They will hit a tennis shoe, right, when this happens. But when when you're on a river in the wintertime especially, I don't care where you are, pay close attention to what's been going on a few days before, okay? If the water, it's, if it's been warm out and the temperature outside drops rapidly, that water is going to drop rapidly and the fish will shut down until they get used to that water temperature. Conversely, if it's been really, really cold and the water drops, you're not going to catch them on anything. They're not going to bite a single thing. But when that water temperature, let's say it's in the mid-30s, and it suddenly jumps up to the low 40s, those fish are going to get rabid. And that's when you want to be on the water. Pay close attention to air temperature and water temperature in the wintertime. That's your key to success no matter what technique you're using. So when it comes to spinners, are we talking like, I know you love rooster tails. You are a big fan of the rooster tail by Warden Lures. Are we talking a brown one with a gold blade? Well, yeah. That'll work if you've got a bright day like we have today. If you've got clear water, you want to tone it on down. A brass doesn't flash as much as silver plate. And a brown body, low in tone, just give them presence and a little bit of movement so you don't spook them. There's a thing we have called the attraction threshold. You don't want to go over that. You want to jazz them but not spook them. Like if I was going on a bright day and throw a big yellow rooster tail, yellow body, yellow tail with a big flashing uh, silver plated blade, what are those trout going to do? They're going to, you can see them flying out of the tail out. But if early in the morning when there's low light or I got a little color in the water, which happens to snow melt a little bit, you want that flash. So take both with you and try and pay attention again to your surroundings. If you've got a dark day, so it might be okay to use silver plate and yellow. If you've got a bright day, tone her down, go to brass, go to browns. Listen to America Outdoors Radio. And folks, if you ever saw the movie A River Runs Through It, you know, there was a certain time where the older brother helped the younger brother who was played by Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt, who needed some help in catching fish, replied, oh, thank you, trout professor. I feel like I am talking to the trout professor right now. I might not have phrased that exactly right, but you get what I mean here, folks. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about winter trout fishing when it comes to your preferred setup in terms of rod and reel, because you are a pro staffer for Shimano and also for G. Loomis. Yes, sir. What I have here in my little hands, you can tell it's really well used. Look how dark that cork is. Oh, yeah. This is not a new rod, folks. So you know I do use this, right? What I have is a seven and a half foot made by G. Loomis. It's called the TSR 901-2, two-piece, fast action, rated for two to six pound line, but it fishes a little heavier than that. It's very fast action. I run what I have on, a reel I have on it is a Stratic 1000, or 1000 
thousand size reel balances this real well. You don't have to go all the way up and get a stratic. I highly recommend it for the drag. You're not going to lose any fish. But what I do is I fill it with 10 pound test nano pills, super thin, never twist. I can cast. Well, twice. hold on, hold on. You just yeah. told me this is rated for two to six pound oh, test, yeah, yeah. but you are filling it with 10 pound test. Absolutely, I am. Well, look at it. It's super thin. It's the same diameter as six pound line. Same. And what's what kind of line is this, this again? Is called Nana, Nanafil by Berkeley Mixes. And I put uh, about six feet of 10-pound test because it's it's fluorocarbon. You know what they say, it doesn't big, matter how big the fat man is. If you can't see him, it doesn't matter. So I run 10-pound test, 10 and 10, to my jig, and they can't see that 10. And fluorocarbon is uh, denser. It sinks better also, and they can't see it. There you go, folks. All sorts of great ideas about how to catch trout this winter, whether you are basically drifting and twitching a jig or whether you are tossing a spinner. And by the way, we didn't even get into spoons, and Bill wrote a whole book on that. You can check that out at Spoon Fishing for Steelhead. It's a book I've had for years, and yes, he covers some trout fishing in there, too. Bill, it's been too long since we've had you on the air. Thank you for joining us today on America Outdoors Radio. It was my pleasure all the time, man. That's Bill Herzog, folks. Let's close out this segment the way we started with a little music from one of my favorite artists, Frank Prenovost. This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at Cena Sea Seafoods. That's the company that delivers delicious, wild-caught Alaskan seafood right to your door. Everything from Copper River sockeye salmon to halibut to sablefish and even king crab legs. Better still, they are offering a 10% discount to our listeners. If you want to take advantage of that, go to SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com, and put in the promo code OUTDOORSRADIO. Once you do that, you get 10% off your entire order. The website again, SinaSea.com, and the promo code for 10% off, OUTDOORSRADIO. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter with the gear you need for fishing, hunting, camping, paddling, cooking, and just about anything else you can do in the woods or in the water. With over 125 stores across America, there is bound to be a Sportsman's Warehouse near you with not only the gear you need, but also the experts to help you get the most out of the product you purchase. Head down to your local Sportsman's Warehouse today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. That's sportsmans.com. A sharp blade makes short work of any project you have in the outdoors, in the kitchen, or in the shop. Hone your knives and tools with quality power and manual sharpeners from WorkSharp. Find out more at WorkSharpTools.com. back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz, and we continue to broadcast from SHOT Show in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I've got a real treat for you. I mean a real treat. I have been wanting to interview this man for years, and I got the chance today. His name is C.J. Buck. He is the CEO of Buck Knives, located in Post Falls, Idaho, and we've got a lot to talk about. C.J., welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, John. So let's start off with the fact that you're the fourth generation Buck member to 
run this company. And, and in a day and age where whether it's a business or a farm, it's really hard to go from generation to generation anymore. Tell us a little bit about the history of Buck Knives. Okay, well, history starts with my great-grandfather. So Hoyt Heath Buck, H.H. Buck, back in 1902 as a teenager, apprenticing in a blacksmith shop and making knives on the side. So his contribution to the family was bringing home a, a paycheck as well as doing these knives on the side. He would pick up files that were worn out. He would reheat, treat them, soften them, and anneal them, basically, and make knives out of them. So that was a way of contributing to the family. In the process of doing that, he just picked up an intuitive feeling for heat treat, metal performance. I could talk to you for an hour about heat treat because it's, it's near and dear to me. We do our own heat treat in-house. But he made knives that performed with uh, the proper ductility, hard enough to hold an edge, soft enough to take a beating, so ductile enough to take a beating, which knives tend to do, they are tools, and then balance that with some decent corrosion resistance. And, and in the process, with design, shape, the ergonomics, the handle, you know, make tools that were truly functional for people. That was the founding. Fast forward to 1990, well, 1978, you started working for the company. 1999, you became CEO. Was this one of these things that was just an expectation growing up that you would work for the company? Oh, yeah. Now, my mother tells a story, which I don't remember, but it's first grade. It was shadow your kid to school, first grade, and, and all the kids in first grade were standing up to say they were going to be the firemen or the police or just exactly what you'd expect, a bunch of first graders. Somebody's going to be an astronaut. So it became my turn, and my mother said in a fairly dejected tone, well, my grandpa runs a knife company, my dad's going to run a knife company, and I guess someday I will too. And that was... <laughs> that was <laughs> That is a great story. I've got to tell you, my first real knife that I ever owned is the one I am holding right now, the 110 Folding Hunter. And I fell in love with this from Buck Knives when I got it. We're talking back in the 70s here. Yeah, no, that, so that knife was introduced in 1964. And I was jokingly telling someone else that it's a classic. It is. And the difference between an antique and a classic is a classic is still functional. And so this knife just hit it hit the marketplace it was a dependable lockback folder so it was a folder is much safer to carry in case you fall on it right so if you're on a ladder as an electrician if you're on a horse as a hunter if you're just a hiker that takes a tumble having a folding knife on your hip is much safer to land on than a fixed blade knife on your hip so while a folder is maybe a little less safe to use because it might fold or it might not lock properly a fixed blade is safer to use, but more dangerous to carry. So the 110 being a very dependable lockback really set the industry on its head in 1964. And folks, I am sure you've seen these knives before. It's got that classic gold and, and brown wood look. It's just a beautiful thing. But we need to talk about something else. We're celebrating a 50-year anniversary here, aren't we? Yes, sir. So the the 112 Ranger, which is a slightly smaller version of the 110, we introduced in 1972. And basically, the story my grandfather told was there was a, a physical altercation on one of the Navy ships in San Diego. So we were located in San Diego. And so the Navy made a new rule that a folding knife on board ship could not have a blade. It had to be smaller than three inches. So the 110 was four inches. So my grandfather introduced a knife with a two and seven eighths inch blade. <laughs> I love this. This is good stuff. 
is the Ranger your best-selling knife? Is that why we're celebrating the 50 years in terms of just overall sales over time? No, the, the 110 Folding Hunter is, is by far the, the best-seller. The 112 is very popular with people with smaller hands. It's just a smaller version. So it's basically the same brass bolster construction. It's real ebony handles, 420HC blade steel, which is our standard core blade steel. Excellent corrosion resistance. Decent ductility, decent edge retention, fantastic corrosion resistance. And, and these are things that, from a knife design standpoint, you're always balancing those three things. If you want to take really good care of your knives, you can have something that has less corrosion resistance and better edge retention. If maintenance just isn't your thing and you just want something to be there when you need it, corrosion resistance might be a better attribute that you chase versus needing the best possible edge retention. So there's always these balances that you're doing, and the 420HC is a steel we've been using for almost 20 years. You're listening to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. We're talking to C.J. Buck, the CEO of Buck Knives, located in Post Falls, Idaho. You know, years ago, I took a tour of your facility, which is wonderful, and I'm guessing with COVID, those had to go by the wayside. Are those going to be happening again? Yeah, the tours are open again. Oh, that is great to hear. And folks, if you're ever in Post Falls, it is definitely worth a visit to go to buck knives and take the tour you're going to learn a whole lot more than you're hearing in this 10 minute interview let's turn to something you've got that is brand new this year very exciting you're in the fillet knife business now (laughs) (laughs) yes so so what we've done is we've designed a whole series of fillet knives fixed and folders small fish i'm going to call them small game i was going to but uh you know just a small blade small fillet more of a trout panfish kind of fillet versus uh, some much larger saltwater fish, large halibut, salmon fillet knives, as well as some uh, bait knives. Interesting. And we've got them laid out right here before us. There's two colors. One is orange. I understand that's for the freshwater series. The other one is blue and gray, and that is for the saltwater series. And I'm holding what I think most people consider to be the standard fillet knife here. Most people just own one fillet knife. Why do you need multiple fillet knives? You know, um, fillet knives are like fishing poles. So, oh, okay. Enough said, folks. Enough said. The size of the fish and the circumstance <laughs> means you can make one work all the time, but you might not want to. You know, so a, a little bit larger blade, a little bit fatter blade, more flexibility in the blade, less flexibility in the blade may work better for you depending upon what it is you're you're cutting up. You know, CJ, most of our listeners know I'm a very simple-minded man. I really like the way you dumbed down this interview to explain (laughs) things to me here. (laughs) So let's talk about the saltwater knives. These are pretty impressive here. And and talk about the the specific function of each one and, and how they differ from the freshwater knives. So let me start with the sheath. That the, uh, the the sheath itself is just a plastic, it's just a plastic sheath. There's a thumb ridge, so you can hold the knife in your hand and with your thumb extricate it from the sheath. So, nice, very nice. So there's no strap. It's just kind of a pressure lock where the knife locks into the sheath. Uh, there's a lot of drainage in the sheath, so if there's water or moisture, there's lots of holes coming through because corrosion is still a, a is still a big deal. When you're looking at fillet knives, like I said, you're looking at flex. If you want more flex or less, so when you're laying the knife on a table and you're filleting, uh, you oh, I just cut the table. But uh, uh, if, if you're laying the knife on the table, you want that knife to flex so that it lays flat for the smaller fish because that's more important. I mean, every ounce of, 
of flesh off of a small trout is, is critical and important. Compared to you get into a larger saltwater fish, you're really going for a more efficient stroke rather than trying to save every ounce of meat. So the less flexibility gives you more cutting power on a larger fish fillet going through some larger bones, whereas these smaller freshwater fillets, I mean, you can see just how much flexibility that is. So you're just going to you're gonna lay flat on that fillet board, the cutting board. We are unfortunately running out of time. I'm loving this conversation, but we are, again, running out of time. But one other thing about the saltwater fillet knives, folks, great corrosion protection as well. If you want to find out more about buck knives, you already know they're probably the most popular knife in the Northwest. Just look for them at a sporting goods store near you. You're going to find them there. When are these fillet knives coming out? They'll be out this summer. Okay. Look for these fillet knives this summer. These are definitely knives of beauty. You're going to love them and very useful for anybody who loves to go fishing. CJ, thanks so much for this great conversation today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Uh, Thanks, John. Thanks for the opportunity. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting and stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. Did you know we actually have a sponsorship opportunity available for this show? That's right. You can be a sponsor of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, reaching thousands of listeners every week, tuning in to 69 stations in seven states. If you have a business that caters to outdoors enthusiasts, this is the platform for you, and you're going to find it's much more affordable than you think. Contact me through my website at northwesternoutdoors.com, and let's get a conversation started. That's northwesternoutdoors.com. Anglers are getting a raise this year with the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program and the fish are biting. Here's how it works. First, register at a pike minnow station along the Columbia or Snake River. Next, go fishing for pike minnow and bring back all of them that measure 9 inches or longer. The fish are worth 6 8 or $10, and the more fish you catch, the more each one is worth. Keep an eye out for tagged fish, too, because those are worth 500 bucks. Go fishing, make money, and have fun. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com.
Before we go today, we've got time for one last shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with your host, John Cruz. I'm glad you're back because it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week. And this one comes to us from our neighbors to the north in British Columbia. Just like we have official state animals and birds, British Columbia has an official provincial animal and bird as well. And that's your question. What is British Columbia's official provincial bird? Is it A, the bald eagle? Is it B, the Stellar's jay? Or is it C, the chickadee? If you think you know the answer, you know what to do. Just go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Look for the post thread where we have the question and give us your answer there. You can also go to our website at NorthwesternOutdoors.com and simply shoot us an email. And again, let us know what is the official provincial bird of British Columbia. Is it the bald eagle? the Stellar's Jay, or the Chickadee. One lucky person who guesses right wins that $25 gift card we give away every week from America's Premier Outfitter, which will come in handy for buying bird-watching equipment like binoculars or spotting scopes at your local Sportsman's Warehouse store. On that note, we have got to go. I hope you enjoyed these interviews as much as I did, and I can't wait to see how they turn out in the awards contest from the Outdoor Writers Association of America. I'm hoping we'll take home some awards for these little chats. I also hope that you managed to find some time during this glorious month of May to get out there and enjoy the wildflowers that are popping up everywhere, the fishing that's going off right now, and that spring turkey hunting too. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. Outdoors.